Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to the EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Matt Harris, Head of Content here at EM360 and your host on today's episode. And today I'm joined by Thomas Weaver. Thomas is a tech entrepreneur and author of new novel, Artificial Wisdom. And we're here today to discuss the future of AI. Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries at all, Thomas. First of all, congratulations on your uh, book launch. Um, of, of course, for, the, for those who haven't heard of your work before or heard of Artificial Wisdom, could you tell our audience a little bit about you know, what the book's about and your inspiration behind it? Sure. Uh, well, Artificial Wisdom is first and foremost a techno thriller, which is one of those words I like to use to, to not scare people off by calling it sci-fi. Um, I'd say it's more along the lines of something like Jurassic Park, where we're imagining a future, we're imagining technology which doesn't quite exist today, but might exist tomorrow. Um, and in particular, this book is uh, very strong on themes like AI and climate change, which are pretty big themes and pretty heavy themes. So um, it's kind of wrapped in a, in a murder mystery thriller to make things a little bit more palatable. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And obviously, in terms of, you know, the background of the book and some of the issues it tackles, um, where does AI really sit in your story? Well, I didn't want to tell another uh, Terminator story, AI equals bad, because I think it's been done. And actually, I think it can be quite toxic to the way that humankind thinks about AI and, and indeed actually may lead us towards some quite negative outcomes. Um, but similarly, I didn't really want to tell something which just sort of, you know, evangelized it and said AI is good. You know, my my inspiration thinking about writing this story was very much coming from the direction of thinking about humankind and our propensity to leave solving our problems until the very last minute. You know, we always prioritize today over tomorrow. Um, and that always comes at a cost. And so if we leave the very big issues like climate change to solve until the nth hour, you know, the, the, the right, uh, the worst possible point before we actually start taking uh, extreme action and deal with it, then the cost of solving it becomes much higher. And artificial intelligence can be a tool in our journey. Um, and today, you know, it has got a certain set of capabilities, which we're all slowly becoming, um, you know, used to and starting to use in our day-to-day lives. Um, and tomorrow it may have a, a much greater extended set of possibilities that may be able to pass very complex sets of data for us and inform us on decisions we should be making and be able to do many of those things all at the same time. So it becomes a very powerful tool for us to influence things. But as with any kind of technological tool in history, it will come at a cost. Um, you know, And I think this is a very important thing to always think about whenever we have new technology, right back to kind of the dawn of agriculture, we've seen that technology comes at a benefit. You know, it improves our lives in some ways and at a cost. It, it it diminishes it in others. Smartphones, for example, you know, connected us with the world but stole our attention. Um, so I wanted to write something that explored all of this, that really pushed um, it to the extreme and said, okay, if we really were in the most extreme climate situation possible and we had the chance to use a tool, but it meant giving the keys of our own kind of, you know, 
destiny as as the human race into the hands of the machines that we've built, what would that look like? And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And obviously your book kind of uh, takes place in the future and it's a, a much more, you know, matured version of artificial intelligence. And I think it's, I think it's uh, interesting how um, you've written about how it's really impacted that, that fictional world and, and really presents that interesting narrative. Um, from your perspective, how have you kind of set that AI out for those who haven't who haven't read the book? And is what you've written more of a prediction or, or more of a worst case scenario? Um, well, I guess it's it's you know it's always in the nature of writers to try and imagine the worst case scenario because that's especially with science fiction, it's where things get interesting. Um, but I don't think it, it, it is the worst case. I think you know there's far, there's far as we say we've had you know many decades of of. AI's bad movies and books kind of coming out and showing us that machines are going to take over and, um, you know, humans don't stand the chance. And uh, again, didn't want to really write any of that. Um, I think uh, it's difficult as well to say it's a prediction and it's more of an extrapolation. You know, where, where we are today, I mean, we're, we're so far ahead in terms of the technology we're now using day to day than I was even starting writing this novel back in 2020 you know we didn't have chat gpt even a couple of years ago and now i'm depending on it more than i am depending on google every day um the tools that are accessible to us are growing exponentially so that exponential curve may level out it may top off and it may find that actually for a period these tools don't get any better and the the, the kind of example I'd point at is things like the first generation of kind of voice bots that came with things like Alexa and Siri and all those things where suddenly it felt like we had access to this technology we'd never had before. We could speak to the devices in our home and yet they leveled off really quickly and didn't improve from there. And that's definitely possible because these things cost a lot of money to run and, um, you know, to some extent there will be inbuilt limitations while they're working on kind of static training data sets, um, you know, that we can train in big chunks, um, but aren't really kind of learning from live stuff. But I think it's also fair to say that we can see a path where these things start to iterate. Um, you know, once AI starts to improve chip power and once the chip power, um, you know, opens up more capability for AI to run faster and use more compute power then. Um, we can see the sort of iterative nature of how things can get faster. And of course, the big topic on any AI evangelist's mind right now is artificial general intelligence. Um, and how long will it take? It, is it even possible? Will we even reach something where actually we have the tools for something to be taking proactive decisions and, and intervening and, um, you know, and actually have capabilities that are dramatically beyond what we can see today so of course i had to extrapolate to a world in which artificial general intelligence is normal um and is is supercharged that is it is a super intelligence but not one that we can't understand one that it is has been built with some degree of constraints and a mandate and um is has been charged with first of all governing one of the in one of the cities in the book floating city um and um, and is up for election for a global dictatorship where somebody like the Romans did is, is being appointed to solve the climate crisis, to 
take charge or, or you know on all of the country's um kind of futures and, and make decisions that are very difficult to make for by one nation at a time you know we're in that situation today uh, if you if you've got a bunch of nations pulling in different directions it's very hard to chart a path through um so yeah that was the that's the context i've had to extrapolate into is that possible is it likely who knows um you know do we we imagine these things but sometimes science fiction informs reality informs technology um and sometimes the technology then informs us back yeah no i really like how you, how you phrase that and obviously you know you're quite right in saying that AI has really been in the common lexicon since since like the 80s with the Terminator and stuff like that. But it's only really been the last 12 months where it's really kind of found its place in the mainstream and in, you know, the general public's kind of everyday life with, with of course, JetGPT amongst other things. Um, obviously, we're, we're seeing a lot of scrambling by uh, governments around that to try and help regulate um, some of these... Um, you know issues that have that have arisen out of that. Um, what what's been your recent take on um, you know, you know the conversations around you know AI at the safety summit, uh, COP twenty eight, uh, in the White House and beyond as well. Um, do you feel like these kind of regulations are going in the right direction? And uh, what would you like to see put in place? You know, I think um, it's an enormously complicated topic that we are nowhere near solving. And I think a lot of what's happening at the moment is people making the right noises because, uh, and, and it's great that we are, because we have this sort of narrow window really of opportunity to to get our heads around how to figure this stuff out before um, things kind of extrapolate well beyond our control. But as, as with anything like this, um, you know, let's, t- let's take an example outside of technology. Let's take something like, um, uh, I don't know, uh, human augmentation, right? Let's imagine that um, you um, start that one country um, becomes a bit maverick and decides that actually they could um, augment humans' intelligence genetically, use, use genetic kind of biology to um, solve illnesses from birth and self-select, uh, you know, the most healthy eggs, and they essentially bring up a generation of what to the rest of us would seem like fairly superhuman kind of uh, individuals. Um, and the ethics of that are really complicated, are really, really complicated. And you can regulate against it. But if one country is off doing it while the other rest of the world is trying to regulate it, that's where it becomes, um, you know, almost becomes a mute, mute problem. And, and then there's an arms race towards something. Now, I don't think any of that's going to happen. But I do think as an analogy, you've got lots of countries around the world that will want to regulate AI and keep it safe. And yet at the same time we'll all see it as a um a potential tool to get ahead of every other country um you know and to spur economic development and to spur arms development and to do all the the things that we hope that we won't do but um this is where it gets challenging i think the other question is how do you even regulate it how when we're at the dawn of understanding it where do you put the blocks to make sure that these things are safe? Um, where do you um, invest the time and energy to, to lock this all down? It's not as simple as enforcing everybody having a, you know, a, a set of code in there that, um, I don't know, stops AI from accessing certain systems because any type of code that we create will have loopholes in it. Um, 
it's not as simple as just saying where well, you can't run above a certain number of um, of GPU cycles. You know, you, you you can't constrain the compute power easily. Although I think that's the first direction that people are exploring. Um, so I'm, I guess what I'm saying is, it's great to have the conversation. It's right to have the conversation. I don't think we understand enough of um, of of what of AI and where it's going, and certainly the politicians don't understand enough of it. They barely understand basic social media and how to use their computers. So um, it's a really challenging area for us all to get ahead of and to think about how best we can keep AI safe um, and make sure that um, it is developed responsibly um, by some of these big companies that are that are obviously going to make a huge power grab in the next few years. And obviously, you're from kind of a like a business background yourself and a tech startup background yourself. And we're seeing a lot of businesses, you know, really looking to get some form of AI strategy and bring that in uh, as quickly as possible and try and kind of keep up with the curve. Um, do you have any kind of advice for business leaders who are who are really looking to kind of start their AI journey? And what what things should they keep in mind? I think what's um, what surprises me is still how many people in, in general workforces actually aren't using it or don't know about it. Um, even had lunch yesterday with somebody that had never heard of ChatGPT, and you kind of think, well, "Where have you been the last year?" You know, especially you're in business, so you would have thought that you would have come across it. Um, so there is an education piece to be done, but I would say one of the the, the, the lowest hanging fruit that anybody could be focused on in big organizations right now would be having a small um, implementation team that is looking at best case practice of how to quickly um, enable people to use AI across the business, but do it in a way that protects the intellectual property and privacy of the business itself. Um, the, the tools that are around today are, are slowly becoming more enterprise um, and giving organizations capability but people will still be using stuff day to day that may help them pass their email better and deal with um, with some of the admin. And, and really, that's the low hanging fruit today, isn't it? We could probably increase productivity by thirty, forty percent by people using, um, you know, the, the LLMs that are around today, the ChatGPTs and, and the equivalents, just to solve some of the basic admin problems that suck up so much time and energy of our working lives. So what a great place to start. What we, what we then know really is that um, the problem that hasn't been solved yet is how you deal with all of the organization's data um, because that's really powerful. And if we can tap into all of the data that exists in our organization and train a private local model on that data, then potentially you've got some competitive advantage i mean think of all the things you could do if anybody in the business could ask a question to um you know a, a, an ai that, is, that knows everything that happens in the organization and of course it would have to be constrained so that people couldn't <laughs> say hey tell me the salary of the ceo um or tell me who, who's about to get fired you know you need some some limits on it um but that's where i can see things moving over the next few years and and therefore people need to be exploring not only what happens on the day-to-day side but actually how strategically an organization is going to play in this space and how they're going to build competitive advantage 
been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking to you today, Thomas. I really do appreciate your time. Um, where can people go to find out more about you, your work, and artificial wisdom? Well, they can go to my website, thomasrweaver.com, um, or you can go straight to try and buy the book at uh, amazon.com. Perfect. And obviously, we'll have all of those links for our audience down below. Thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to this podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series. Until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. Follow the conversation on our socials at EM360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. And for more great daily content, please head on over to EM360Tech.com. Thank you.